Welcome to Spotlight McCall, conversations with local luminaries on their inspiration, creativity, and vision. I'm your host, Renee Silvis, and today we are featuring Craig Utter, Executive Director for the Payat Land Trust. The mission of the trust is to conserve for future generations the scenic, agricultural, ranch, recreational, historic, and wildlife values of Idaho. Craig brings us 20 years of experience in environmental and conservation-based nonprofits. Originally a rancher, somehow he ended up fighting forest fires on helitat crews, working winters in Antarctica with the National Science Foundation, and doing conservation work in Nebraska and Idaho. It sounds like you're the guy for getting diverse groups of people to sit down and talk. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got started and how you ended up here doing this work with the Land Trust. Well, thanks, Renee. I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your podcast. My background is interesting, to say the least. I grew up in a small town in Colorado, Evergreen, which was on the eastern slope, and ended up making my way to Nebraska and owning a 300-head cow-calf operation in the Sandhills. And that's really where I cut my teeth on private land conservation, working within a state that's 97% um, privately owned. If you were going to do conservation, you had to work with local landowners, farmers, ranchers, and governmental agencies, um, biologists. So it was a fantastic model about how to work together, bring people together in a unique landscape. I wanted to get back to the mountains and my, my sister and brother-in-law had moved to Idaho and I came to visit and realized that this was like Evergreen back in the 70s and thought I would fight fire for one year. Ended up becoming involved with aviation through fire and one year turned into about 12 and worked summers fighting fires um, here on the Payette and at the same time continuing to do some of the conservation work that I had been involved with back in Nebraska through the Sand County Foundation, where we worked with local landowners, uh, farmers and ranchers, and tried to exemplify the positive conservation work being done. And that's really what then led me to the Pay It Land Trust. I saw that they were looking for a part-time executive director, and being um, an older firefighter in my late 40s, realized it was probably a good time to move on from swinging a Pulaski with 25-year-olds. So that's kind of how I came to, to be here with the Payette. Mm -hmm. We're mainly a volunteer organization that's been around here for 25 years, started in 1993, and work in four counties. So we work in Valley, Idaho, Adams, and Washington. And if you think about it, those are not just diverse counties, but diverse watersheds and also diverse land uses. So anywhere from forestry, valley bottom agriculture, to dry agriculture, to the Salmon River, uh, over by Riggins, and then up into Grangeville. We really look at um, finding ways to bring communities together around the resources that are there, conserve that rural lifestyle, as well as provide for conservation. So it's a regional land trust. Yes. What made them determine those four areas would be a region? I think it was out of necessity. We would have folks come and say, I want to do conservation. I have a piece of land, I have a ranch, I have 40 acres, I want to see it conserved. We work basically off of the premise that first and foremost, it's non-development because um, 
once you start to develop a landscape, that's the last crop you'll ever plant is a house. Uh, you never go back. It's the last tree you'll ever cut down is a house. So you don't see the natural world really rebound from intense development. If it's uh, somebody that wants to say, we have this piece of property that we want to see put into a non-development easement, then we're willing to start working with them. And we had people come from all those counties. We're in the business of balancing conservation and development. That's the reason that we're here. So tell us, what is a land trust? The Land Trust Alliance, the Idaho Coalition, there are these different entities that sort of support each other. Okay, I'll start with the basic understanding of what a land trust is and what the Payet Land Trust is. Mm -hmm. So we're the local, on-the-ground, nonprofit organization that helps to steward an easement. And an easement is a legal document. It's the same as a road access easement, um, a power line easement, what an easement does is it prescribes certain uses on the land and the landowner agrees to that and it gives a third party a right, a right to drive on the land, a right to put in a power line. And in our case, we end up with the right to develop. So if you have a hundred acres and you want to put a non-development conservation easement on it, then uh, we'll work with you to write up that legal document and then we steward that in perpetuity. So our easements are forever. Um, so we take our time, it's slow moving, but we wanna make sure everybody agrees on what we're doing. Now, along with that non-development conservation easement, we're also looking at certain conservation values. And so we look at rivers, we look at streams, we look at certain habitat types. It might be um, a migratory path that would be affected by development or, or a certain type of use. We'll write all of that into an easement. Every easement is different. It's specific to the landowner. Some easements allow for public access, some don't. If it's a farmer or ranch that's trying to conserve a grassland, then um, they still have to be able to do their business. And so we don't have open public access. There are times when we want to have public access and we will prescribe that into the easement so we know that it exists in perpetuity. So an easement may not be just for a road. An easement could be a migratory path or sure. for farming. It can be anything. What we would do, uh, a good example is a ranch. Let's say there's a thousand acres. We have one um, down in Washington County. That individual said, I wanna conserve these thousand acres. We see development coming up from Boise. We don't wanna be forced into having to decide to sell this for development what we would like to do is do a conservation easement on it. When you decide to put your property into a non-development conservation easement, there is a certain value that you give up. So your property is worth X amount if it's fully developed. If you can't develop it, it's only worth the ag value. So there's a difference between those two. That's the development value. The IRS allows for charitable contribution, a donation of that value, that you get to take off on your taxes for 15 years. So a farmer or rancher may have a situation where they're gonna sell their property to their son or daughter, and there's gonna be income of cash, or they're selling a crop or something like that, and they need a tax write-off. They donate the value of that development right to us, and they get the charitable contribution. A it, lot of benefits there for everybody. For everybody, yes. It, it's one of the great ways to not only benefit the landowner, whoever that landowner might be, mm -hmm. but it also benefits the landscape because now we know that that pressure to develop 
has been removed. You can be really creative then with the kinds yes. of conservation easements you create. Yes. They're all different. They allow for some development. We'll have a development envelope where you can build a house. You can have your existing buildings. What we do is we make sure that it balances in favor of the conservation values that we're trying to conserve. What are some conservation easements that have happened here in Valley County, for example? So in Valley County, we've got some really interesting ones. One is what we call the Whiteman easement. There is 40 acres that exists right next to Whitetail that the family decided they didn't want to see developed. They came to us and said, we would just like to put a non-development conservation easement on it. And the, the family eventually sold the property. The easement goes with the land. So the new purchaser then bought their house along with the easement of 40 acres. They were interested in that because they knew nobody would ever build on those 40 acres. So, so someone purchasing the property, there's value in that for them yes. to motivate them to even want to acquire that property. Right. Especially when everything's getting developed around it. Mm -hmm. Another one of our easements was a community developer-driven easement at Blackhawk. So as the Blackhawk development was being designed, it's along the river, uh, along the Payette River, and they chose to put um, a total of now 365 acres of riparian habitat that was buildable, but we didn't want to see it built into a conservation easement, which allows for the folks that buy into the Blackhawk to have access to that property. A selling point. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then we also have uh, land that was donated to us. So Phyllis Huffman or FID had two pieces of property out on Farm to Market Road, one 70 acre piece of pasture and then uh, 33 acres of timber. And she didn't have anybody to pass it along to and wanted to see it conserved. So she worked with uh, the Payette Land Trust and said, I want to donate this property to the land trust for you to use however you see fit as long as you conserve these values, which we listed out. And so um, the pasture has always been rented out as ag land. That's what she was doing with it. So we rent it to a neighbor, they graze it. The 33 acres are conserved as wildlife habitat. And we use that property to work with Roots Forest School to have a place where they can bring their kids out and know they've got 33 acres that they're the only people on it. So some of these conservation easements you now manage pretty actively. Mm -hmm. It's not just that you have to monitor it or annually, mm -hmm. you have to do a little bit of extra work for some of them. Yes. And that's okay. That's okay. You enjoy that maybe. Yes, it's the difference between managing the easement with another landowner and then being a landowner yourself. And then mm -hmm. you're taking on all those responsibilities of being a steward. And I imagine that you had to be really discerning as you acquire some of these conservation easements mm -hmm. locally. You want to kind of balance out how much work each one is mm -hmm. so that, I mean, that sounds really awesome and you don't want to be doing that too much. So what we require, um, and this is standard throughout the land trust world, is that when we go into um, an easement with a landowner, folks will ask, ask us, what are you getting out of it? What does the land trust, what does pay at land trust get out of doing an easement? And I will tell you, we get a lifetime job. So what we right. do is we become the stewards of that land. And every year we visit it, every year we make sure that the legal agreements are up to date. If we carry insurance on these easements in case that there's a violation. So we might do an easement with a current landowner now, and it might be sold three or four times. So then we are dealing with uh, the fourth owner who had no idea what was originally intended. And they say, I want to build a house here. 
I thought mm -hmm. I could. And mm -hmm. we said, no, you can't. And we have to steward that easement. And so we need to have legal funds and we ask for a stewardship endowment donation for every easement that we take on. So that's part of the landowner's responsibility. If the landowner can't provide that, then we must go fundraise for it. Okay. So that we would go out specifically and say, we are raising stewardship funds so that Renee's property can be placed in an easement and we know we can steward this in perpetuity. So if you're successful at your job, you're actually creating more work for yourself yes. by acquiring more easements and Very much so. managing some interesting places. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting problem to have. Right. The better we do, the bigger we yeah. get, the more work that we have. We will have work for this forever. You can look at the East Coast. You asked about the other entities um, that we're involved with. There is a state organization called uh, the Idaho Coalition of Land Trusts, uh, ICOLT for short. Inside of ICOLT, we are members as well as Wood River Land Trust, the Teton Regional Land Trust, the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley, uh, Palouse, Kanixu, all of the local land trusts, and we come together as a state organization and talk about land trust issues. And we have other partners like the Nature Conservancy, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They want to see us be successful because we're the local group that holds the easements that allow for the habitat to be there. So we all work together as a state organization. And you've figured out structures that work everywhere. Yes, and these basic easements and mm -hmm. structures also come down from our national group, which is the Land Trust Alliance. The Land Trust Alliance is best described as an umbrella organization. So we all sit underneath that individually, both as ICOLT, as a group, mm -hmm. and then as the Payette Land Trust. The Land Trust Alliance then provides us technical service, education, opportunities for grants. They hold seminars virtually and in person every year. You can go meet with other land trusts from around the country. And so for an example, I was in Raleigh last year for, for the uh, seminar, and we were talking with people from North Carolina who are dealing with warm water issues in some of their streams and lakes when it comes to power generation. So Duke Energy needs the water to be at a certain temperature to cool their reactors. They are now looking to conserve the upstream habitat because it provides shade. We can see that as a crystal ball for what we're dealing with in the Snake River Basin. And we are part of that as the payette flows down through the snake. Idaho Power has those same issues yeah. about water temperature, water quality. We're seeing what they're doing out east through our association with the Land Trust Alliance. So that's really interesting for yeah. you to collaborate, yeah. learn, prevent some problems yes. maybe people have had elsewhere. Yeah. So let's talk about the need for a conservation ethic. You've had to come into an existence because of development. Mm -hmm. So can we talk a little bit about that and the history of what's been happening in our region with development and the need for the easements? I think anybody that's been in Idaho any amount of time, I don't think you have to be a native or been a resident for 25, 50 years, whatever it might be, you know that Idaho has been discovered. You and I are both transplants. Yes. We both came here from somewhere else. Yes, exactly. I came here because I saw what I grew up with in Colorado, but I've also seen what happened to Colorado when it was going through an unchecked growth, uh, which was driven by economics. They wanted, Denver wanted to grow. Uh, Boise wants to grow. And so we put a lot of time and energy in starting this economic engine for growth and making it very appealing 
to be here, bring jobs to fill in for the jobs that have been lost. Let's get more people Let's into our communities, which is all great, except it's hard to stop that. So then we see this growth and that's what we're experiencing. People have found out all the wonderful things about Idaho and they wanna come and experience it. So how do we balance keeping what brought everybody here at the same time, allowing for everybody to have a place to live? So one of the challenges in conservation is that we're talking about private lands and private lands have a dollar figure. It, it changes over time and it usually changes with the pressure for use and development. So the challenge is when you can really afford to conserve land is before you feel like you need to conserve the land. So we are 20 years behind with the issues that we hear from the general public, like I want access to the Payette River, I want access to Payette Lake, I want to be able to uh, continue to use uh, the potlatch ground that eventually became the Wilkes Brothers. I want to get to my huckleberry patch. Uh, yeah. I want to get to my hunting grounds. There's a gate up. Right. All of that was available to us for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. and, and it felt like it was open and free until the pressure came to sell it, and it did, and it went for so much that then it's hard for conservation to compete with development. So 20 years ago is actually when we should have conserved those lands. Mm -hmm. And so now you have somebody who just paid a lot of money for it and they say, well, I have to get that money back. Yeah. So if we had worked with the uh, land 20 years ago, it, it would have been uh, easier to, to raise the funds to do it, but the need wasn't there. Nobody felt the need. So you're looking at that and wanting to be strategic yes. and thinking, what can we do now to prevent something right. in the future in from the future. happening that maybe we didn't really want? Because we didn't plan for it. Yeah, and that's what we challenge everybody to think about. The land trust world works in perpetuity. So we plan to be here forever. So when we think about these issues, it's on a 25, 50, 100 year time frame. Mm -hmm. So when we look at projects, it's what do we want to see in 25 years? Where do we want to see this? Where do we think um, our communities are going to be in 50 years, 100 years? And then we have to convince everybody that it matters now. To now is the time now. to invest now. Now mm -hmm. is the time to take action. And so we spend a lot of time talking about conservation ethics with the landowners who have it now. So yeah. if we can find people that are attached to their properties, they realize that they've got a gem, they know that they've got a piece of property that needs to be conserved, we really work on trying to enact some action now and we will be grateful for it 25, 50, 100 years from now. And that's the big challenge, mm -hmm. is that if you're not feeling the pressure why do it? But once you feel the pressure, sometimes you can't act fast enough. So we've mostly been talking about private lands that have mm -hmm. been transferred into conservation right. easements. What about public lands? And let's just look at the elephant in the room, mm -hmm. the endowment lands. Can you explain to everybody what an endowment land is, a little bit about how it's managed, and sort of tease apart some of the stickiness around that for us? So the endowment lands are interesting because we look at it from the standpoint of they're a quasi-public, quasi-private land. And what I mean by that is we spend a lot of time as a land trust working with private landowners. So we know exactly mm -hmm. what those are. Somebody owns them, they have a deed. We don't work with what a lot of people talk about as public lands, a state park, a national park, forest service ground, BLM ground, because those are already prescribed to have public access and some kind of conservation on them. Endowment lands fall in this interesting zone in the middle. 
because they are owned by a public entity, but they are not managed like a state park. The endowment lands were put into place to provide funding for education, and the restrictions on the land board are to work within the constitutional mandate that says you must make money off of these lands. They must return value to the beneficiaries, and most of those are educational entities and some healthcare. When those lands were put into that public system, it was to relieve property taxes, to provide funding through grazing or timber originally, mining, whatever that might have been at that time. It was sort of a creative idea. And it's not unheard of across the West. We had the same quasi-public lands in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. They were exist in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. It was two uh, sections out of every township and range were devoted to education. That's how you built schools. That's how you funded those original entities. And if you look at the map of the state and the endowment lands, it's like this little square mm -hmm. sort of generally spread out. They were distributed pretty equitably across the state. Yes. And now, it's my understanding that the Idaho Endowment then started trying to bring their sections together into different blocks. So they would do the land swaps. Yep, and they'd bring them mm -hmm. together. And you see now these bigger chunks that they've worked over time to bring together because from a timber standpoint or a grazing standpoint, you can manage it better in a block. And now we're starting to talk about uh, something that's different in value than what has existed previous, and that is development value. During this whole time, the endowment has allowed for public access, but it is not their primary mission. Their primary mission is to find revenue, and they're up against an increasing revenue source, which is development. So how do we handle that? And that's why we're starting to talk to the endowment, we're starting to talk to individuals within the community and say, educate yourself on the endowment lands because they are under the constitutional entanglements to provide funding to their beneficiaries and they are required to do that. The question is, how do you do that? And can we do that in a way that also benefits conservation? There are potentials out there, but we also have to work within their boundaries. And for the last year and a half, the Payette Land Trust has been working with the land board on those questions. How do we conserve what's around McCall, not just around the lake, but everything that's up here, and still provide the requirements that the endowment must meet? And I'll give the breakdown real quick here of, of Valley Counties. In endowment lands in Valley County, we have 1,177 acres of rangeland. We have 63,598 acres of timber. We're fifth in the state of Idaho behind Boundary, Clearwater, Boise, and I forget the other one. We have 52 acres of residential and 10 acres of commercial. So that's the breakdown, most of which is timber. Mm -hmm. And from looking, I mean, just even close to McCall, there's not a lot of that that's harvestable, it seems. Well, I think one thing that's important to note when you talk about timberland is that if, if you're gonna hold the land in perpetuity forever, mm -hmm. which the state would probably do, the timber grows back. So it may not seem harvestable now, but 100 years from now, they might have a great harvest off of it. This is the part of educating yourself on how endowment lands are managed. So I would encourage everybody to go to the IDL site. They've got information there on what endowments are, how they manage their lands, what are their timber policies, and they've changed over time. Endowment and timber land, specifically right now, as a snapshot. When we talk about what's around the lake, 
what is it worth? It's just a picture that we can take right now and put in a frame and say, that's what it's worth. The problem with that mindset is that it should be viewed as a movie. It continues on. Tomorrow's another day. 10 years from now is another day. Conservation in general is a movie. It changes over time. It didn't look like this 50 years ago, and it won't look like this 50 years from now. So to say that we know exactly what's going to happen by what we see today uh, is probably not looking through the correct lens. Mm -hmm. And that can provide benefits for conservation, for the ideals behind let's Let's make sure we conserve it now because we don't know what we're going to get in 50 years. But it also works the same way from an agricultural standpoint, which is timber, is that the trees will grow and they will produce timber and you could harvest them in 100 years. That's how you get old growth timber, <laughs> is that it grows old. Um, that's how you deal with it. You plant young trees, they eventually grow up. It's the same as planting wheat or corn or raising cattle. You have a commodity that you eventually harvest. It just takes a really, really long time. And during that time, you have the opportunity to walk around in it and pick your huckleberries. And so the endowment is managing it differently than it would from a state park because it's supposed to supply uh, funding. Yeah. And what are some other ways other than harvesting timber that they're using that land now to, to make money? Well, some of it has been developed in the past. We see that with the cottage sites around the lake. Mm-hmm. They have also traded some land for commercial activities. Um, There was a point in time where they owned commercial buildings in Boise, and it was determined that they should probably release those, and I think they've sold out of all their commercial activities because of various issues. So um, it goes back and forth on what they can do. They, They have leased the lands to Idaho Fish and Game, which allows for public hunting and fishing rights. Um, so they generate some funding from another state agency. Now that's interesting. So one government agency mm-hmm. can lease the land to another mm-hmm. government agency. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. So that's one way of, of generating revenue. Right. Okay. There's lots of creative ideas that are out there. The problem for the endowment that I see, and you know, I don't work for the endowment, so uh, I don't know all the ins and outs, but they have constitutional restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so it may sound like a wonderful idea and they say we can't do it legally. This is something we cannot do legally even if we want it to. So what the land trust is doing at this time with the endowment is saying what can we do? Where are your boundaries? Let's investigate all that we can to find out from a conservation organization how can we work with the endowment. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to us to say let's go that route or if we can't can we change it is it possible to put a conservation easement onto an endowment acre we have asked that question and we don't have a definitive answer yet okay but it's a possibility it's the question that's been put out there the way that i understand it we're trying to really figure out can the endowment permanently encumber a piece of their property? Mm. Because our easement would be forever. So now conservation easements, if we put this in perspective, the endowment's been around for I think 130-ish years. Conservation easements really in the West only got started in the late 80s and 90s. So this is a matter of interpretation, interpreting whether this could be applicable. So yeah, you put this in perspective, it's relatively new, especially to the endowment. Most of those Mm. 
conservation easements that happened in Idaho were with private entities and you, we, we worked through those and now we're looking at can we do this? We may, we may not. It may be determined that they can't do that, that they need to sell it or lease it or whatever it happens to be. Um, but that's our job. That's one of our jobs is to ask those questions and that's what we've been doing for a good year and a half. Um, when the lease for the lookout around the lake came up, the land trust started to say, you know what, somebody else is going to look to develop and probably on a larger scale. And that's going to be a difficult question for the land board because it will provide value for the land and they are supposed to look at those options, whether they want to or not. Somebody will present it, they will need to do their due diligence and find out. We wanted to make sure that the, the land board knew as a land trust, we wanted to explore other options. Just know that we are out here and they've been very receptive to that. Mm -hmm. They don't know what the answers are yet. We don't actually know all the questions, but we're working through that. And that's part of our job as being the local conservation group here. So you have a good relationship with the, the land board. Yeah, um, the individual members of the land board. When we were working through this process, we created something called the Payette River Basin Initiative. And we realized that we had to look at our area here in Valley County from a 20,000 foot view, from a watershed view. And we wanted to have direction within our organization. And the Payette Lake Conservation Project was part of it. Payette River Access is part of it. And the Agricultural Heritage is part of it. So we want to talk to anybody that has lands within a half a mile of the high water mark on either side of the water that enters into the Payette Lake, goes down the Payette River, Cascade, all the way to the Cabart. Well, guess who has a lot of land? That's the endowment. So they have land that touches all the way around the lake. So that's why we reached out to them and said that you're part of our overall conservation plan. Hmm. When we put together the Payette River Basin Initiative, and this is something that our land trust did. We created that it. That you the helped board steer. It. Yep. The Payette River Basin Initiative. Initiative. Okay. And in June of last year, we invited the governor up to talk about us as a local organization, looking at water quality, conservation, development, access, all of that from this watershed view. And we've talked to other folks on the land board about our view of the basin. But we also talked to the Forest Service. We've also talked to Valley County Commissioners. We've talked to folks within the city. We've talked to um, soil and water districts, as well as, uh, you know, the BLM, a lot, uh, BOR, Bureau of Reclamation. Um, There's a lot of stakeholders. There, there are a lot. Would of you say that, that your organization kind of sometimes helps coordinate these yeah. conversations? That's you. Yeah. Okay. Because it intermixes with these public lands quasi-public lands and private lands. Mm -hmm. And it's hard right now to see those boundaries, especially when a lot of the open space that was privately, or that is privately owned, was allowing folks to come and go. So you could walk through private land onto public land, onto private land, onto public land, and nobody knew where they were. And that is changing. Whether we like it or not, it's changing because people are purchasing those properties and they're purchasing them for a reason. They're defining those differently than somebody who had it previously. So the need for easements is becoming much mm -hmm. more urgent right. in your expertise. So the Pay It River Basin Initiative, mm -hmm. you coordinated that. Mm -hmm. And what's been the outcome of that? The result is that it helped us focus on our three project areas, which is the Pay It Lake Conservation Project, a Pay It River Access 
project and the Agricultural Heritage Project. So we've talked a little bit about the Payette Lake project, dealing with the interesting <laughs> situation when it comes to endowment lands and how do we conserve those. Now the Payette River project, we have certain pieces down there that are owned by uh, the BLM, by the BOR. We've got uh, three easements, two on Blackhawk, one on the Nahas uh, along the Payette River. And what we've started to work on is finding lands that touch the river that were for sale or with somebody who is interested in conserving it and allowing for what we call limited public access. And by limited public access, we mean foot traffic, bike traffic, non-motorized, no fires, no camping, because we are building subdivisions around those. So we can't have backcountry forest use mm -hmm. within a subdivision. But you could have someone walking. Right, and what we want to do is we want to allow access. Mm -hmm. So currently, you can put a boat in at the sheep bridge across from the jump base. Mm -hmm. You can't get out of the river legally until you get to Smiley. Smiley. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, no, we get out. But every place along the river is private. So how do we, as we grow and want more access to the river, find ways to do that? And this is one of those conversations that could have happened 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now all of those properties have value based on development. And we see development happening along water, whether it's the Payette River, whether it's Lake Fork, whether it's Boulder Creek, whatever it happens to be, people want to be near the water. And Idaho only has um, public access to the high water mark. So you can get on the river and you can float the river and you can get out of your boat, but you can't step out onto private property. So you're looking at addressing that. Yes. How do we obtain some mm -hmm. easements along there mm -hmm. and some easements further down that haven't really been mm -hmm. talked about yet? So there's combinations that we can do. We can have a, uh, an individual that wants to retain ownership of that property, mm -hmm. put a conservation easement on it so that we don't have any more um, development. Ill illegal foot traffic on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, so we don't have a uh, building right up next to the water. And then within that easement, mm -hmm. we might say, can we have a public access easement on it? But how have people responded? Some of the landowners? It, it all depends on where you're coming from. We get it all, all across the board. Some folks are, you know, we're going to have to buy it. So we're going to have to fundraise locally and purchase that piece of property. Mm -hmm. um, we may be able to get the current landowner to put an easement on it. Okay. So it, they get a benefit from their taxable donation, and then they're willing to sell it for the price that after the easement is placed on it. Okay. There's other folks that are like, you just have to outright buy it. We're not going to do an easement on it. If you want this piece of property, you're going to have to own it. Mm -hmm. So we're strategically targeting those. We're talking with other folks who realize that... Um, they have foot traffic along the river. They would like to see it uh, more controlled. So they don't want to give up the rights to their property, but they'll allow for a trail access easement. Mm -hmm. So you'll be able to go down the trail, but you can't go off the trail. And we see that in Boise, um, where you go through uh, a subdivision or you go through a piece of sure. private property mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. get to a piece of public property. And I would think someone would want to have a clear trail with signage, mm -hmm. here's the footpath. Mm -hmm. I could see some benefits of having an established mm -hmm. trail. Oh yeah, that and and trails that go places uh, bring benefit to your community and they increase the value of your homes. And yeah. we see that um, through economic studies, uh, they've shown that if you if you back up to a piece of conserved property, that brings value to that land. Here's the kind of development that we can say we all 
are in favor of. This right. is positive development. Um, public access trail systems mm. are things that are generally pretty popular, a selling point for you even. Yeah, and especially if they go somewhere. Like if you can, if you can hop on your bike and ride to town, mm -hmm. then your property became much more valuable. Sure. Or if you can do a loop from your house and brings you right back to it. Mm -hmm. And so looking at those, we see that in the Greenbelt, in Boise, uh, other places that have developed these trail systems. The problem is that if you don't get the land into an easement that allows for this, then you can't do it. Right. And um, right. You're missing a piece of the link. We may not be the organization that builds the trail. We mm -hmm. may not be the organization that maintains it or puts it all together. But if we can put pieces of property together over time mm -hmm. that allow for the possibility of this, then Valley County Pathways can take care of that. Simba can be involved in mountain bike trails. All of those organizations that we want now that are struggling to find the areas to put those pathways in mm -hmm. need an organization like the Pay It Land Trust to have been out ahead of the game right. and found the places that we can actually put an easement in that someday may have a trail. Right. So we work on all of those issues. It may be though that we look at a piece of property uh, and say this is a wildlife corridor or a wetland area, or sandhill crane habitat. Can we conserve it and not have people go on it? Because that disrupts the wildlife. So there may also be an easement that says, we're doing this for wildlife, we're doing this for other reasons, we're not gonna have public access. Yeah, There's all combinations Migratory pathways seems to be pretty important. Mm -hmm. And that's something you've got your eye on? Yes, and there are other organizations that are are looking at those from the 40,000 foot view. And what I mean by that is if you fly over and you're at 40,000 feet, you see a migratory pathway when you look out the window of the airplane. Mm -hmm. uh, if you fly over the Payette River Basin at 20,000 feet, you see the whole basin. If you're standing on the ground, you only see what you're looking at. And so there are organizations that are flying at 40,000 feet looking at large migratory pathways and we might be a part of that. Well, yeah, and some of those migratory pathways may go over endowment lands that you would- They could. A conservation easement could go into an endowment land for that reason, mm -hmm. or some specific habitat. There's all those possibilities, and that's why we ask those questions. How mm -hmm. can we do this? How can we conserve it? Yeah, because we want the elk to be able to move. And that, that's the other part about development. Um, when we talk about large-scale pieces of property versus small acreages, if, if you can deal with one person, whether it's a large developer or a large farmer or a large rancher and you can affect conservation on a large scale with one entity, you may be able to accomplish more than if you had 500 small entities to deal with because it only takes a couple to say no. Here's where your ranching background comes right. in handy. And one thing that I, that I do want to mention along those lines is that agriculture is hugely important when it comes to open space whether it's view sheds or migratory pathways or things like that, agriculture deals in large chunks of land. But they also need to be looked at as a corridor. So if, if you have four ranchers in a row, they all have a thousand acres and they all help each other. And you and I are neighbors, my cows get out onto your place, we go round them up, we bring them back. Um, the neighbor down the way is cutting alfalfa and he's running his tractor all night. Uh, we all do that together, and that corridor exists because it's a like-kind use. If you break that corridor up, and now you put a, a full-on subdivision on one of those ranches, then the issues that agriculture has to deal with conflict with residents. 
And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then the pressure for those ag families to sell goes up because, well, there's already a subdivision here. I'm going to sell that out. So the elk that moved through, the birds that flew, that nested in those fields, whatever it might happen to be, also lose out. So there's some value in looking at agriculture heritage as a corridor. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with commercial agriculture or not, you can't have locally grown food if you lose that ag ground. Is it going to be ag as it exists now in the future? We don't know, but if it's not ag ground, it's not going to be ag ground in the future. So those corridors are very important. So if you think about farmers markets, if you think about locally raised beef, you can't have that if that leaves your area. Mm -hmm. So development has to happen. We all have to have a place to live, but we have to think about agriculture as a corridor. We have to think about wildlife corridors. We have to think about access corridors, um, river corridors, wetland. How does water flow? Do we allow our watersheds to have the right riparian areas to make sure that water is clean when it goes into the river. All of those things are important. So we have to think about those on a larger scale. If we wait to the last minute to conserve something, we may only conserve a sliver of it. So those are all of the issues that go on in our, in our heads as we deal with this. So I like the idea of an agricultural corridor. Mm -hmm. You're looking at swaths of agricultural land adjacent ranches, perhaps a conservation easement to preserve the agricultural integrity of an area. Right. And our easements allow for that. It allows for use because mm -hmm. we're coming into a piece of property that already has a use on it. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, we want to conserve this and we want to conserve it, not preserve it. So again, preservation is that snapshot. We want it to look exactly like it looks now. Conservation is the moving picture. We want to conserve this agricultural use. Those folks still have to do what they do. They have to be able to make a living. Um, and we all benefit. The local yep. economy benefits from The wildlife use. benefits. The scenic mm -hmm. views benefit. I mean, if you drive up and down 55 and you love looking out and seeing um, the mountains and all that, it's because ag is there yep. in the valley floor. Um, so how do we conserve that? Yeah. You do that by finding a way to uh, keep those folks in business. And there are lots of federal programs that help with that, but it usually involves conservation easement and a local entity. So preserve is a snapshot, yeah. conserve is the movie. Yeah. And you can think about it from a house. If you're going to preserve a house from 1889, that means everything that existed in that house in 1889 needs to exist now. It may not be practical, so that means you don't have light switches, if you want to conserve that house, you try and keep the majority of it, but you're going to put new windows in it. You update, right. you improve. But you keep that integrity. You've decided yeah. what are the values that I want to see existing into the future, but being able to see it evolve and adapt. So tell us a little bit more about how people can donate their land. We talked about conservation easements. And there are other ways of doing it, like a fee simple, life estate, annuity. Right. There are all these different ways people can communicate with you about how to conserve right. their property. So what we do right off the bat is if somebody is interested, we want to talk about what are your conservation ethics? What do you want to see happen to your property? Our job is to steward those ethics into the future. And everybody has a different point of view. So it may be you have a piece of property and you say, I want this to be here for my kids in the future and we intend to own this property. 
but I'm not sure what my great-grandchildren are going to do with this. Because they're kind of wild. <laughs> well, they may not <laughs> live in Idaho, right? right? I don't know my great-grandchildren. Oh, they may, right. But they'll inherit this property because we're going to keep it in the family. So I want to set some boundaries. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a conservation easement on the 300 acres that we have along the Payette River. And I don't want to see anything built in the riparian area. But I also know that they probably are going to want a cabin. So we're going to say, all right, we're going to set aside two acres as a development envelope that allows for a house to be built in the future. The rest of it is going to go into a conservation easement. You're going to still own the property as the family mm -hmm. and you can use it however you want. When they decide to build that house in the two acres, we'll be there to make sure that it goes on those two acres and everything else is conserved. You may be a family that says, I have nobody that I'm going to leave this to and I don't know what's going to happen and I don't want to sell it. I'm going to give it to you. We're going to give, like Phyllis Huffman did, we're going to give this property to the Pay Atlanta Trust. Then we say, okay, what can we do with it? Why are you giving it to us? So you actually hold land. We hold. You two, own land. Yeah, we, we own Phyllis uh, Huffman's property and we own the Peterson okay. property, which is a piece of timber ground at the end of Round Valley. So somebody might say, we want you to hold this ground and you can um, use it as you see fit, conserving these values. Mm -hmm. And we list those out. Mm -hmm. And then we own that property and we steward that forever in that manner. And that's the Huffman ground. And we bring, you know, kids out onto it and we try and um, educate folks on what it is to conserve a piece of property. You may give us a piece of property and say, I don't have anybody in my family. I want to give this property to you and you can do whatever you want with it. You can resell it to buy another piece of property because maybe it doesn't have great conservation value to it. You could give us a house and say, here's my house on the lake. I would like you to sell this house when I am done with it, use that funding to go uh, advance your mission. So all of these things can happen. It can happen directly with us. It could happen through a wills and estates. You could prescribe this. We could put an easement on your property now and you could change your mind and say, I want to give it to you later on. So uh, people can even bequeath their yeah. land to you and their will. Yeah. You can put an easement on it and sell it tomorrow knowing that you have conserved that piece of property and then it's our job to work with the next owner. You've come up with multiple ways for people to support the land trust. Yes, and you don't have to have land to support right. the land what trust. What are some other ways people can support you? <laughs> we are a nonprofit, and we are a nonprofit that works in land that's very expensive and takes a lot of time. One of the best ways you can support the land trust is through a financial contribution, mm -hmm. whether that's through donations uh, when we do fundraising efforts, whether it's through uh, gifts of stock, whether it's through estates, however you can donate to any other nonprofit, you can donate to us. And it's urgently needed. We have more projects than we have capacity. Are there some urgent projects right now you're working on that could use some support? I turn down projects because we don't have the capacity. I am it. I am a three-quarter time uh, executive director working in four counties that turns in time and a half because we don't yet have that capacity. Like we talked about earlier, we're always behind the curve in this. So as we need it, we don't have those folks. So we, we are always in need of financial support. And you're turning down people's offers. Uh, yeah, because we can't, we can't complete the project. Right. So I've right. got three conservation easements that we're working on with farmers and ranchers in Idaho County right now. Uh, we're working on the Payette Lake Conservation Project. 
we're working on um, some access projects along the uh, Payette River. And we get calls all the time about mm-hmm. doing some more. And we just ha- we, we say, we really want to talk to you. Let's put this in the, you know, in the hopper, so to speak. As we complete something, mm-hmm. we'll be able to take that on. What about volunteer opportunities? People who have time, maybe yeah. not money. We use volunteers uh, a lot. We have a lot of pro bono work. Steve Milliman, who helped form this organization, provides our legal work pro bono. We have our GIS analysis and maps created pro bono by Kara, so Utter, someone... my wife, who has spent a lot of time making sure that we have our abilities to do GIS. So someone with some skills. Mm-hmm. Our website was put together as a volunteer. When we hear about people that have certain skills, we'll bring those in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had volunteers help when we've needed to cut wood out off the Huffman to open up trails so that kids could come in. I know folks through FIRE who are chainsaw qualified. How can people find out? How can people register for your newsletter? What can people That's do? That's the best way. What we ask people to do is go onto the website. It's really simple. You type your name and your email address in and you'll get our newsletters. And when we have a project that we need help with, uh, we'll ask for it. And the website is? Payatlandtrust.org. That's easy. Yep. Okay. And on the website then you also see the other stuff that we're up to, past things we've done. The Payette River Basin Initiative is there. All of our past newsletters are there so you can keep up with what we've been doing in the past. And as we grow, we'll have more and more opportunities. We've put on fundraisers in the past and people have volunteered. Of course, in in our reality of COVID, we don't get together like we used to, but we will in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had musicians volunteer and donate their time for the events. We've had folks donate items for auction. So I want to touch on quickly, you mentioned the Payette Lake. Payette Lake Conservation Project. So that is housed within the Payette River Basin Initiative. Okay. So our initiative is the broad look of the whole watershed. So we're like, we want to conserve the watershed. And what we did was we said, we want to look at Valley County Comprehensive Plan. We want to look at the state water plan for the payout and how do we work within those governmental entities as a nonprofit working with private landowners to affect change. That's a big landscape so then we had to break it into sections. We broke it into agricultural heritage is a project area so then we go and we we use the programs that are out there through the farm bill and the Natural Resources Conservation Service and, and uh, USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, they've got programs that we can help those agricultural folks with. Then there's the Payette River Access Project area. So there's all those little projects of pieces of land that might fit underneath that umbrella project area. And then there's the Payette Lake Conservation uh, Project. So the Payette Lake Conservation Project isn't just endowment. There are private landowners around the lake who want to conserve their property. So we work with those folks as well as the endowment. Do you have folks. project managers for each project or do you manage everything? Right now it's it's me and the board. We've got an eight member board. Okay, but I can imagine eventually you could need some help. Maybe this is a volunteer opportunity where someone separate could be managing something if it gets too big. Usually in that case, we need to hire somebody mm-hmm. because it's going to be within our policies and procedures. Mm-hmm. And then that project manager would, would work with volunteers underneath that. We could ha- we could probably use five people right now. I'm sitting here thinking, how does Craig do everything? Um, I've got folks that are helping me out. But yes, it's, mm-hmm. it's an expanding um, awareness within the community. And so as the communities 
start to say, hey, we're going to uh, need more and more of this. We are going to need more help. If you think about our area, we talked about our, our project area as counties, you know, so Valley, Adams, Idaho, and Washington. But in reality, it's three river basins. So it's the Payot River Basin, it's the Weezer River Basin, and it's the Little Salmon Salmon River Basin that we work. As Front Range cities expand, Denver, Salt Lake, and Boise, they expand across their Front Range, usually out into the flat, but eventually they all come up their river basins. And so we are looking into the future of expansion up Weezer, up 95, up 55, 95 up to Grangeville. Um, those areas. So we will be looking at some point to expand to the Weezer River Basin Initiative, the Salmon River Basin Initiative. And as we do that, we are going to need more and more people to be able to staff those. So and this is looking at the 20-year view yeah. at River Basin projects, right. managing, conserving. You're mm -hmm. going to need a lot of wisdom and expertise mm -hmm. about how to do this. Yeah. Some of it comes through grants. Some of it comes through uh, working with the Nature Conservancy, the Conservation Fund, mm -hmm. uh, drawing off of ICOLT and their expertise, drawing off of the Land Trust Alliance's expertise, and then working with individuals and organizations who understand that we are in this for the long run right. and help us to finance those things. Could you give people a few suggestions today from your experience and your expertise on giving public comments to government entities, for example, the land board, if there's something they want or they don't want? I'm imagining a lot of people don't know how to go about giving their opinions. And I'm imagining there are some, you have some advice for people. So as the land trust, we are a non-political group, mm -hmm. but because we deal within the sphere of regulations and governmental entities that can help advance our cause, we spend a lot of time discussing things uh, in the public sphere. My advice to everybody who gets involved in, in something that they are passionate about, to remember that it's the cause and the issue that is at the core of it. So if you're gonna give public comment, you have a limited amount of time, three minutes, two minutes, five minutes, whatever that um, entity has set up as your, as your time. You have very little time to get your point across. So make it succinct. Say why you're there, the reason that you're there, and focus on your issue. Because in the end, it's the issue that matters. So for us, it's conservation. It's balancing conservation and development. We know development's coming. We have to get that message across that conservation needs as much time in the process as the economic development does. If we get off on other issues or personalities or being mad, then we lose our effectiveness of communicating what was really the reason that we came today. Spend some time, write it all out, talk it out with your significant others and your friends, get it all off your chest, and then look at how much time you spent talking start narrowing it down, making sure that you get your point across. Same thing with written comments. Keep it pretty short Yes. and polite. Yes. And I would also suggest that in today's society of clicking and adding your name to petitions or form letters, I mean, the people who receive that know when it's a form letter. So if you really want to be effective, um, put it in your own hand. Mm -hmm. You know, write, write what you're passionate about. Say, this is me. This is why I care. 
and this is why I'm contacting you. So signing a petition has limited efficacy. Uh, I think it shows that you're interested in it, but if you're trying to get across a thought, an idea, mm -hmm. or a passion, it will always come through better if you do it yourself. If you write that letter. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to let people know about today? I think what I would would want to put on the record and have folks understand is that um, when it comes to conservation, it's it's an ongoing, maturing, evolving process that evolves with your community. It takes time. It will become unique to where you are. It will become unique to your community. And it takes thought. We're in this for the long run. What do we want to see? How are we going to do this? And it usually isn't a single issue. Um, it's multiple issues over multiple time frames. And again, it's a moving picture. We're creating the movie. We're writing the script for the future. Uh, we don't know what it's going to look like, but we can help drive it in a certain area. Thank you, Craig. Um, everyone can go read more at payatlandtrust.org. Correct. And there you can easily sign up for the newsletters. I just did that last night. So looking forward to seeing what Craig will be sending us <laughs> shortly, I'm sure. I'm Renee Silvis. Our podcast is sponsored by Community Hub McCall. Read more at cubmccall.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Renee. Now go, everyone, and find some inspiration. Thank you.